Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode two of the Staying Afloat Teaching Podcast. This is Carmen. Just got done editing a big bulk of the first episode. What did I learn from editing the first episode? First of all, wow, I speak really fast sometimes. Remember in the recording, I need to calm down my fast speaking. Secondarily, maybe more pressing of an issue is I say, um... A lot. I must have edited out like maybe like 50 ums, 20 yes, or so. lots of lots of filler words. But that's that's who I am. I can't stop it. I will edit things out while I can. But then my next thought is, what's going to happen when I actually start teaching? I have a lot less time to do that. It's going to be interesting to see what happens for that. Maybe the listening experience will take a huge hit. Hope it doesn't take that much of a huge hit. But you know what? Maybe it becomes a little bit more of a relaxed experience. Less more like a super professional podcast, which I'm not really marketing this as. To me, this is just like a passion, something that's cool to do in my free time that, again, gives me some benefit and hopefully can give someone else some value. Episode two, what do I want to focus on for episode two? Uh, Today, I really want to kind of just dial in on, you know, what is it like to be a something and education major? So for me, of course, I was a physics and secondary education major. And there's like some really interesting kind of pieces with that where for me, at least in my experience, I was friends with pretty much all physics people, not so much with education people, but I think that's just how it's set up at at the program that I went to where one of the things I really liked was my freshman year and for pretty much pretty much half of my experience, I'd say in college in total, I was more a physics major than an education major, especially freshman year really was no difference. I was in just all the regular physics program classes. And then sophomore year, junior year, and especially senior year, I took a lot more ed courses, you know, kind of ramping up as you get closer and closer to student teaching. And I feel like there's one natural question that came from this. And it really kind of the genesis of this question, and me thinking about this was, I was in an education REU, so it's like a research experience for undergraduates. Basically, I was surrounded by other undergraduates interested in education research and therefore interested in education. One other friend there, she was also a physics and secondary ed major. And I I don't remember how exactly the conversation started, but I kind of had like this thought, what do you identify as? Do you identify yourself as a physics major that happens to be going into education? or an education major that happens to be teaching physics? And I think this is a really interesting question, and I really feel like the answer to this might depend on the program you go to, your kind of upbringing, like your, your path to education. For me, even as a physics and secondary education major, 150%, I identified as a physics major pretty much the entirety of my college career. I would always say I'm a physics major, like you know, I'm majoring in physics, but I'm going to be a high school physics teacher. That was just always the way that I kind of, you know, in my mind, that's just how I was wired into the situation. I'm, I'm, I'm a physics major. And I think that's because at the end of the day in high school, I knew I wanted to major in physics first. Then I later found out, okay, I'll, I'll teach it. That's what I want to do with it. And I, I think a lot of this really stems also from physics and education are really conflicting at the college level. And what I mean by that is when you go to a physics class, you're really not being taught at all like the education classes are going to teach you how to teach, right? And if you're in college or if you're taking like a college level physics class, you're probably like, oh yeah, for sure, 100%. But if you haven't, what I mean by that is really college physics courses and and not just physics courses, you know, lots of courses are like this. 
but you know, in general, I've taught by professors that might be really great. I had all really great professors, but they're really, you know, they got their jobs because of their research, probably not because of their great teaching methods. They might love teaching and they might put a lot of effort into it, but their background is, is in physics, right? It's not in teaching. Uh, and, and what that means is like, you know, a lot of these classes are really just kind of lecture based. Um, and I'm the type of student that loves that, but really it's just, it's just you're sitting in a chair maybe for like an hour and 20 minutes over long your classes and you'll be taking notes. Maybe there'll be a break and you do some problems individually. Maybe you'll do problems in a group. Maybe you'll talk about these problems. Maybe you'll watch a video. Maybe, you know, I'd say the best part about physics is the demonstrations that maybe a professor will, will interrupt their lectures with. There's some things that you can do to change this. And of course there are labs that sometimes are really cookie cutter, sometimes are really, really open where you're designing your own experiment totally from scratch. Uh, and some, you're usually working with other people with that. So sometimes you get these, these little mixes, but I would say maybe like 80% of the time a physics class looks like a lecture through and through. You're just taking notes, pretty passive learning. And it's not at all the way that I'm taught how to teach. And it's not at all the way I want to teach at a high school setting. I think it's very different, of course, because as a physics major, I'm, I'm hooked immediately. You know, they don't have to convince me why what I'm learning is interesting because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm majoring in physics. I really love the material already. In a high school setting, of course, when I'm teaching, you know, high school students who they maybe they're just taking physics because they're required. It's a freshman first class. I know that's my experience. I'll be teaching a lot of freshmen. Even I'll be teaching honors in AP physics. These kids are still, they're still high school students. You know, they're probably not going to major in physics, probably not even going to major in engineering, might not even major in STEM. They might major in something totally different, might not even go to college. So I, I as their teacher, need to kind of give them a reason to be interested. I can't just lecture at them and expect them to be like, oh yeah, this guy's a great lecturer, therefore I really like the class. In, in, a, high school, in a college setting, 100%, that's how I felt. But in a high school setting, that's not at all the case. And really, that's not even how I was in high school, I think. You know, I, I liked the class, but I, I don't know if I could have dealt with, you know, a ton of lectures in my high school brain before I fully committed to majoring in physics. And so there's, there's this constant kind of, you know, clash between when I go to a physics class versus when I go to an education class, it's really a night and day difference. And a lot of the things that you learn in an education class, I don't know, I, I, part of this is because really out of all the education classes, and I've taken a pretty good amount, I didn't crunch the numbers before this, but you know, I, you, you take probably like, you know, I'd say like eight ballpark education courses, not counting student teaching. Among those, only one of them was focused in science, not even in physics, in science, and how to teach science, which is of course very different from teaching math and English, and all of those other subjects have their own you know, content-based education course. But all of the other courses are in general, and you can imagine that all of them are taught by education professors, none of which have experience teaching science, at least in my, uh, that might not be true. Some of them had science backgrounds, um, maybe slight science backgrounds, but they weren't high school physics teachers, right? Um, they didn't know physics like I know physics and like my physics professors know physics. And furthermore, a lot of these ed teachers were not even high school teachers. Really, there were only like, I think two or three of my ed professors who had high school teaching experience. And to me, I learned the best from those teachers. And this is something I'll get into later when I talk about student teaching and you know what you learn from that. But it's really interesting that you know 
there's definitely value in learning from someone who's super, super, super dialed into education and they spent their whole life learning about education. But I feel like a lot of what you need to learn to succeed in a high school teaching environment and really probably a K through 12 teaching environment, you got to learn from someone who's been in the trenches, from someone who's been in that school. So I, I don't know, to, to me it's kind of weird that you know these education courses and these physics courses, very few of them could actually talk about high school experiences. But going back to the physics versus education course, because all of these education courses are in general, the most they can do is give you general advice, right? And I think that's the one thing I can say about ed professors. They're really good at giving you general advice. They're really good at giving you a general picture of what the best practice classroom looks like in general. However, now it's totally up to you to see what that looks like in your content area. And what I mean by that is, so maybe they'll, t they'll teach us about a topic, I'll say like differentiation, because that's a big buzzword in education. For sure, it's really important, really, really important topic. You need to make sure you're reaching all of your students. You, they really don't, didn't have to convince me that much that this is something I need to be good at. And so they'll teach me what it is. I learned about what differentiation is. They might have given like some examples, but they're not physics examples, just examples in general. And then they're like, okay, uh, it's up to you. Or, you know, maybe we'll do a reading or something, you know, but it, it, we'll do an activity in class. It's up to you guys come up with, you know, a tiered um, lesson plan, or a lesson plan that contains like a tiered activity or turn an activity that you already have in your lesson plan into a more differentiated tiered activity with scaffolding and whatnot. But again, that's all up to me. Because these education professors don't really know physics, at least in these gen ed courses, it's up to me to, to come up with that stuff, right? And I, I think that's kind of, it's, it's kind of weird when you really think about it because, you know, for the first time, I've just kind of learned about what differentiation is and I can't really look for a good physics example in this class. Now, of course, they're out there. They're totally out there in the internet. But then, of course, it's, it's, it's up to the student. So, you know, again, reiterating, this is what I mean by that ed professors are really good at preparing you in general. They'll introduce you to the topic of differentiation, but it's up to you to bring it to your classroom. And I think that's kind of how it has to be, because at the end of the day, every teacher is going to be different. You having your own classroom and your own teaching style is going to lend itself to using different kinds of activities. I don't think you can ignore differentiation. I don't think you can ever be like, oh, well, my teaching style. It's just, it doesn't include differentiation. It, you know, and, and I keep using this term, it could be any clip of education buzzword that they like to throw around in interviews and PD and whatever. I'm just using that as an example. I don't think you can ever say, it just doesn't fit in my style. You know, it, it, that's the challenge. You have to fit it into your style. And to me, I, I think that's really hard as a new teacher. It's because I haven't had a lot of experience seeing what really good differentiated physics activities look like. And I also haven't had a lot of time to work on that because, you know, and I'll get to this later in my student teaching, you have so much to focus on. There's only so many little things that you can learn or that you could focus on. So I, again, I think that's like a really big clash between physics courses and education courses. And I don't really think you learn the specifics, at least for me, I don't think I really learned really specific science education advice except for one course. And I think it's, it's pretty fair to say that that one 
education course, my methods of teaching science course, was my favorite ed course and the one that I got the most out of, I think, because it really focused on like, okay, finally, I'm going to learn how to teach science. It took until my junior year, by the way, the semester before my full-time student teaching. This was during the semester of, uh, they call it clinical one, so like your part-time student teaching. And finally, I'm learning about how to teach science after three years of, of being in, in college. I finally get to learn how to teach science. Everything else is super in general. And really, another thing with, with ed programs that you might not know if you're in the outside is you really don't get any experience in teaching until you're pretty much about to graduate. Uh, and what I mean by that is you don't really do any teaching that much, at least to real students, until you get to clinical one or clinical two, you know, your student teaching semesters. And for me, that was my third to last semester and my second to last semester. And for some people, it's their last two semesters, they have those two experiences. And so you can imagine as an education major, you're coming in for me freshman year, uh, I'm a physics major pretty much, I'm not taking any ed courses, I really love my physics courses. And then sophomore year, I'm taking these ed courses that don't really teach me how to teach at all. They, they're teaching me, uh, to give you an idea, one of them was more like classroom culture, which is useful. You know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I thought it was an interesting course, but it did not teach me how to teach. And then second was uh, an adolescent learning and development course. Also interesting, but also doesn't really teach me how to teach. It's just, you know, it, really you could have taught that same content outside of an education course. All right, so that's my sophomore year, okay? Not really learning how to teach yet. Junior year, finally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over 50% done my, my degree, and I'm finally getting a little bit of experience teaching, but then you really don't get the full experience until your full-time student teaching, which for me was my first semester senior year. And it, it's just so nerve-wracking. I think one of the things I was most scared of as an education major was I'm like really far into this. I'm pretty committed. You know, I'm committed into the ed path and I still haven't taught yet. Like I, I really haven't. Like, of course, I, I think I want to be a teacher, but I haven't been in a high school classroom for like three years and I'm about to enter it again and I just need to kind of figure it out like I, I don't know I thought that was really interesting and it, it seems to be the norm in a lot of places like you, you don't really get to try out teaching until very late into your career and I, I think you know I, I understand this to some extent because it makes sense if you're going into an actual high school and you know an actual physics teacher or I'm sorry any teacher is inviting you into their classroom and allowing you to teach their students for a couple months they want to make sure that you're prepared and they want to make sure that it's safe to bring you into the school. They want to make sure you understand things you can and cannot do. You have to learn something to get to that point. So I understand, you know, it's, it's important the things that we learned those couple years before I'm teaching. But man, it's, it's just really nerve wracking that you don't even get to like dip your toe in to, to really try it out. And, and from outside, it's a similar problem where say there's someone who again you know I, I talked about this person in episode one they're interested in a subject but they don't really know what they want to do with it if they for them to consider education they don't really get to try it out until junior maybe senior year three or four years into their degree it's it's it's, it's pretty brutal so that could discourage people from from 
shifting to education. So I, it, it's a really interesting dynamic, I think, that, that comes with being an ed major, that really you're just kind of like crossing your finger year one and two, and kind of, you know, half a year three. Hope I still want to be a teacher. Hope I really enjoy this. Hope all these classes are worth it. For me, of course, you know, it was. But I know people who it wasn't. I also know people who really didn't like ed classes and just dropped out before they even got to the classroom because the ed classes, I'm going to be honest, are a lot less compelling than your major classes, at least for me, again, because I identify as a physics major. So when I go to my physics classes, I got 100% buy-in. You know, I'm really excited. When I go to my ed classes, I kind of just see it as busy work. I got to be honest. I saw it as busy work. And don't get me wrong. I think my program did an excellent, excellent job preparing me to get a teacher's teaching certification and to show me everything that's out there in the realm of education, things that, you know, eventually, you know, that they introduce me to it in general. And then when I'm a teacher, I'll be like, oh, I remember learning about this. Let's try and really improve. I, I think they do a really great job of doing that. However, it's scary to think that for some people, if they can't get into that class, if, you know, if they can't get through these first couple of years of maybe boring ed courses that don't teach them how to teach, if they really have a passion for teaching, that could kind of get, you know, it could burn out by that time. And it's, it's, a, it's a big shame. But I, I, again, I understand that there's pros and cons. Right now, that's at least what my program looked like. That's my experience. And one of the things that I really kind of wanted to like talk about with this is, was it worth it? Was it worth being a physics and secondary education major when I could have just been a physics major, taken more physics classes, taken all of the high-level physics classes that I couldn't take because I was taking ed courses and they filled up my schedule? And then alternatively, I could have gotten into education after I graduated through like an alt-root program through maybe like, you know, Teach for America or some of these other alt-root programs where you spend several weeks just kind of getting rapid fire taught how to teach and then getting a teaching certification, you know, separate from my university and entering education kind of through the back door rather than being a physics and secondary education major. Do I, you know, do I regret my decision? I think at the end of the day, the answer is no. I think I'm really happy with my decision to be a secondary education major, but it depends on what you want out of that college experience. So for sure, being an education major has pros in the sense that, again, you do get to interact with a lot of different professors. You do get to learn from people with different kinds of experience, different levels of experience. And you also get a cohort of peers that I really can't say enough for. Even though I wasn't the closest friends with a lot of education majors, it's nice to be in ed courses. And, you know, sometimes you get into some really good discussions. You meet some really cool people who all are passionate about teaching. And you can kind of come together with that you know, you can kind of become like a nice core cohort. And it's really cool to see people like, oh, I remember you, you were in my sophomore year ed course. Now we're in our senior year ed course and we're talking about the actual lessons we're planning. And that's pretty cool. And you can learn from people just as they're learning, you know, learning from what other people are doing, I think is a really valuable experience. And also, I, again, I really think ed programs, at least mine, did an excellent job of preparing me f to get a teaching certification. What I mean by that is I'm mostly talking about ed TPA, which is not in every state, but to, to break it down into like a first grade vernacular, it's basically an absolutely horrible, rancid, disgusting, uh, large mountain of work you have to do that you submit to people and they basically give you a score. And if you get a good enough score, you get your certification, you, you, you pass. It's a new thing. I think my year was the very first year that the score mattered, where I actually had to reach a certain score or get above a certain score to be able to get a teaching certification. 
and it's, it's a mountain of work. And a lot of it, what it boils down to is speaking in education ease, writing about your teaching, using as many buzzwords and things that you learned in your ed classes as possible. So let me tell you, it's really important that you actually remember these things and you actually learn them well. So that's what I would say is the number one piece of value you get from an ed program is you will learn all of that. That's the point of ed professors who might not have you know a background teaching in high school. They'll help you get the certification. They really will. I think that's where their expertise is most fit in helping you get your teaching certification. In terms of actually teaching you how to teach in a high school, again, you know, they do a good job in general, but you're gonna learn that from other people or you'll learn it from your own experience. But definitely the number one piece of value that you get from an ed program is just, they. I don't wanna say hold your hand because you definitely do have to be independent, but they'll help guide you to the steps of getting a teaching certification. You know, they give you a checklist and be like, okay, you gotta take your, your these praxis tests by this year. You gotta take these certain tests. You have to get above this score. You have to turn in edTPA. We're gonna really help you with that. We have a class just for helping you with that, help you with lesson plans. We give you templates and stuff. You know, there's, there's resources there. For some people, it's gonna be really useful. For some people, they might prefer to just be a straight, you know, subject master get a degree in just the subject and go in an alt root program. But I think in an alt root program, if they were to condense everything I learned in three years into a couple weeks over the summer, uh, I think that would be really crazy. And I think it would get a very rude awakening being a first year teacher, having never student taught before. I think that would be a really nerve wracking experience. Personally, I'm really happy with my decision to be a physics and secondary ed major, but I can see this is a your mileage may vary situation. And I do think if I, you know, had decided, you know, in an alternate world where I did not know I wanted to be a teacher and I just decided to be a physics major, maybe I work in a lab or a company for a couple of years and I do say, uh, let's try teaching. I'm sure these programs are well put together. I'm sure they do a good enough job to educate you and they also help you in the same way that I was helped in my college experience, albeit they really have that, that time uh, constraint. They, they just don't have enough time you know, that a college program has three and a half, maybe four years to educate you into you know, getting you ready to be a first year teacher. I was well prepared in that sense. Uh, I can't comment on those those other alt root programs, but I'm sure they work for some people. I'm sure they do not for others and college is vice versa. One other thing that I, I was kind of disappointed that was really missing almost entirely from my college education experience was logistics. They, they, so again, ed programs, I think they're really good at teaching you how to get a teaching certification. I think they really don't even try, at least mine didn't, they really didn't try to teach us how to get a job afterwards. After we got our certification, like, you know, at my last semester, really was up to us uh, as, as education majors to get our own jobs. Now, they did help us by pointing us out to like, oh, you know, go to the career fair, uh, go to the career center or whatever, get your resume looked at. In fact, you have to do that. They had very, they were supposed to have many job days where you would have, you know, a bunch of educators or a bunch of schools will come in to interview teachers and you could have up to 12 interviews in one day and you know, it's a lot of stuff that try to connect you as much as possible, but it's up to you to show up and be good with the interview and have a good resume. I think at that point, you're on your own more. You're helped just a tiny bit, but what I really wish they did was they taught us where can I look for jobs that is not through the college affiliated job search engine that these interview days are run, uh, are run from. 
I really wish they talked about what contracts look like and if you negotiating for a contract is reasonable. I wish they talked about what salaries you should expect. I wish they talked about things to watch out for in interviews. I really wish they talked about a lot of these just tiny little pieces that you don't really think of until you're actually applying for a job. Uh, what health benefits are good, what's basic things that you should look for. But at the same time, you know, that's, that's the problem when a lot of these ed professors, who are great people, I had really great ed professors mostly, but they don't have actual teaching experience in a high school, so it's difficult for them to comment on that, because, and I don't blame them. They simply don't have the knowledge, right? But that's something where, you know, I, my physics department was great at this. They brought back a lot of physics alumni from the program uh, that went into teaching, so a lot of physics teachers that talked about what they did to get jobs, and they brought in teachers in the area to help us with that. To me, that was really valuable, but that was totally outside of my actual education program. That was just something my physics department did, and it was really useful. So I, I think that's the number one thing that's missing from ed education programs, at least the ones that I've seen, was I really feel like I had to teach myself a lot my last semester of college, and I was really scrambling to understand how to get a job. And frankly, I feel like I'm lucky that I got one. I'm very fortunate that I got one. But yeah, it was, it was something that I really felt like was missing, and I think if they did include that, people would get a lot more value out of the program overall. If you're enjoying the podcast and want another way to engage with the content, consider following the podcast's Twitter, at Afloat Teaching. There you can stay up to date with notifications for the release of new episodes and get some behind the scenes on the development of the podcast. DMs are also open for feedback or questions for future Q&A segments, and all suggestions are welcome and appreciated. I'll even shout you out. Thanks again for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So the second and probably the most interesting part that I can talk about with this is uh, student teaching. Your student teaching experience in your undergrad is, is honestly your most formative part, at least in my opinion. It was really the most formative part of my, my teaching career. And I, I really feel like I never found my stride as a teacher, like my individual sense of like who I am as a teacher until my student teaching. And to give some context, student teaching, at least in my program, and I think in many states, is broken down into two semesters. So your first semester is called Clinical 1, your second is called Clinical 2. Clinical 1 is like your part-time student teaching, so you're at a school for maybe four hours a day. You only really teach a full unit, maybe for like a couple weeks, but it largely depends on your co-op. A lot of the time is spent kind of observing, learning about the classroom, learning about the students, teaching some lessons here and there, and then eventually you plan a, a large, you know, like a full unit, and you teach that whole unit, uh, and you have like a uh, a course at your university that corresponds to this where you're learning how to teach while you're doing that uh, and clinical two to me is is, is the big 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 moment first uh, an undergraduate education major clinical two is where you're doing full-time student teaching you're probably not taking any other classes during this maybe you're in my school i had one class that met once a week and it was just to do that ed tpa stuff so again that huge background work that you need to become a teacher uh, they just help you do that but overall you're just teaching you're you're there seven or five days a week full-time and you know for a whole school day maybe more depending on if you have to do setup or you're staying after to help students this is where you really take on the schedule of a teacher and again it's, it's where I found my stride as a teacher I think you know for the first time I'm, I'm not a perfect teacher by any means it didn't change overnight I just became in one semester a great teacher what I mean is you know I, I found like my confidence I guess to go into a career as a teacher and be like okay this is the kind of teacher that I am so really this student teaching is something I'm really excited to talk about and it's something that I think can be really stressful but I just want to give away my takeaways 
it's something that I think might seem really stressful to first-time teachers. You know, I, I know I was really stressed going into it. I was really scared. But what I can do is I can give my takeaways and my you know advice to new teachers that are about to go into this. So my student teaching experience, just to give some context, uh, it was split between two really schools and two places in the world. Uh, I ended up teaching abroad. In the first half of my student teaching, so I was there for like maybe two and a half months, two, almost three months uh, in Thailand in an international school, American international school, still teaching physics, still teaching in English, but I was just happened to be in international school across the world. Uh, and then my second half was in my home state at just a average high school, public uh, high school that I might find a job at after I graduate. And so I had these two kind of split experiences, but I, I really think it was so useful to have that because so much of your student teaching experience depends on your relationship with your co-op. And I think number one, that's the thing you really want to look forward to because you can have a really great student teaching experience, but a lot of it kind of depends on your co-op, what kind of person they are and how well you two get along. So I was lucky to have two really, really excellent cooperating teachers and I really didn't have any problems with them. And I, I learned a lot from them. And they were, they were very different. I, I was, it was nice to have two different co-ops because depending on the kind of person your co-op is, you might teach totally differently while you're in their classroom. Because for me, the way I handled this is I'm a guest in that space. They invited me into their classroom. I'm sure they get a little kickback for, for having me there. But they certainly, there are some co-ops who don't feel like they're super obligated to help you out and to... to look at all of your lessons and give you super great feedback and I've had friends who taught their very first day and their co-op was very rarely even in the same room as them they didn't really give them feedback they didn't do that I was really lucky that that was not my experience I think I would have really disliked that I, I was really thankful that both of my co-ops made a really big effort to watch my teaching to ease me in to all of their classes but to also give me the amount of freedom that I think is, is correct to give a new teacher to try out new ideas. I didn't feel like I was forced to teach the way that they were, or, or to forced to teach the, the way that they usually teach their courses. However, I, again, as a, as a guest in this space, my mind is I didn't want to rock the boat, right? Because, you know, what I mean by that is I'm going to leave eventually, and students are going to go back to their cooperating teacher. And I came kind of in the middle of the year, especially in my home state when I came back a couple months into the school year. Uh, it, you know, it was really important for me to not change things a ton. And, if, you know, if my co-ops are going to give me advice in terms of like how they teach, how they would approach certain subjects, I think I would be a fool to not take that advice and take some of the materials and things that they would have done and modify it so that I'm 100% happy with it. So again, I think a really great cooperating teacher will give you like such an excellent student teaching experience. I was really fortunate to have two really, really, really excellent cooperating teachers. It was, it was totally normal for them to stay in the same room as all of my lessons, even if they weren't paying 100% att uh, attention. I think, you know, I, it's good as a teacher if your co-op is in the room, but they don't need to pay full attention to your lesson. Maybe they're getting some grading done or some of their own work done. And if they leave the room, you know, that's also good because if they feel comfortable with you teaching a couple, you know, weeks into your student teaching experience, like that's, it's, it's, it's a good feeling to know, like, okay, it's good. I have that kind of trust. I think that trust is really important. And also, you know, while they were in my room, all, all the, the, the lessons that they saw, they made an effort to give me feedback for really every single lesson. I'm the type of person that will take feedback and constructive criticism pretty well. So to me, you know, again, I'm a guest in the space. I'm so new to the profession. And I happen to have two veteran teachers who had been teaching physics for a very long time. I was just really happy to take all the feedback that I could. 
So again, that's an, again another thing I would really recommend: take all the feedback, seek out feedback. If your cooperating teacher isn't giving that to you, like that's it's so important. You know, why would you not want free feedback? Because you're not going to get free feedback in your in your full time teaching. Again, I, I think that was just really really valuable. To, to give a little more context into what student teaching is like if someone's like a little out of the education space, for me, what it's supposed to be like is, again, in clinical two, you'll go in, you're there every single day, but you might start the first week or two kind of just observing, helping out, getting to know students, maybe learning a couple names, talking with them, you know, if they're doing kind of group work, just going around and facilitating activities, maybe not taking the whole lead on lessons. But really what I was doing was I was observing how my cooperating teachers taught, taking really detailed notes on their teaching style, things that they would do deliberately in their classroom. And I, you know, would try to be like, okay, this is something that they do. Do I like this? Do I not? How will I implement this into my classroom? And then maybe come the second week, you know, you have a conversation with your co-op as early as possible and be like, okay, so what's my teaching schedule going to look like? So with both of my co-ops, we came up with a, a plan to kind of ease me into their classes one at a time. So for instance, my co-op in my home state had three courses he was teaching and a couple sections of each. So immediately he was like, okay, so we'll start you out in my honors physics because it's his lowest level class. You'll take over both of those sections. Maybe we'll start, I'll teach one, you'll teach the next one. And then eventually I taught both. Then, okay, once we get to this unit, you'll have been teaching honors for a while. And then AP will have just started a new new unit, APC. So why don't you take over AP Physics C uh, if things are going well? And I said, okay. And then got to a later point where, okay, at this point, this would be a good time for you to take over one of the AP1 sections. And so eventually, again, as I'm going into this, you know, it was a really smooth process, again, just from having a good conversation that I was really eased into this student teaching where, you know, starting one class, two classes, three classes, four classes, and then working my way up to a full teaching schedule in a way that I thought was really organic and really easy on me as a first-year teacher. And I think easy on my co-op as well because he could slowly give away the reins of his classes because I know, you know all co-ops, they don't, if they really love their job, they don't want to just give their class to a random person that they just met, <laughs> right? So it was a good way for, for him to also see, like, okay, I trust this guy that he's not like some, <laughs> some, some, some quack teacher out of, uh, out of college who's not ready to teach at this level. And it, again, we had just a really good relationship in, in both of my student teaching experiences, both in Thailand and my home state. But the same thing happened. I just slowly took over their classes. We talked about things I can do better and eventually just got to the point where it was just another day at work. I was just coming in to teach. And again, it was, it was such a great experience for me to have that. I can't stress how important it is to have a great cooperating teacher and at least to have a good relationship with them. Where you, If there's some give and take, at least both people exit happy. Because that's, again, I think that's, that's the goal of the program. You learn from them and they get a little bit of value out of having you into their class as well. And so again, you know, kind of going back to what I said previously, where this is where you learn the most because you're interacting with high school teachers in your content area every single day and not just your co-op but their co-workers other people at the school and even students you learn from students a lot in this student teaching experience i learned i would say probably 80 percent of the most important stuff the most important you know just 
stuff of being a teacher in my student teaching experience. It's the best way I can kind of describe it. What I really mean is this is where, again, I learned the most about myself as a teacher, not ed courses. That was really only maybe like 20% background knowledge, doing stuff in general. It's the student teaching that you really get to put that kind of stuff into practice in a safe environment where you have another teacher around you almost all the time to help you get to that level. To me, again, that was just, that was really important. Learning from these actual high school teachers, this is where you're going to do all of your learning. And I think it's really important to go in with that mindset, at least in my opinion. So I have like a little bit of a list of what I think student teaching is, is a great time to do. A little checklist of things that I got out of this. Um, and number one, don't be afraid of failure. Don't do not be afraid because again, like I just said, this is the safest environment where you'll be able to try new things and get immediate feedback from someone who's really experienced in your your subject matter in, in education. Don't be afraid to try things. Have your co-op watch you try it and then get some feedback. You know, talk about what could have gone better, what could you change next time. And it's again, it's a really great, it's a really important thing to have a good relationship with your cooperating teacher that they let you try these things, especially if it's different from what they would normally do in their classroom. I know this happened a couple times. Sometimes it went really well, and you know, my co-op was like, this was a really great idea. I'm totally going to steal that. And sometimes it went poorly. And, you know, I would say like, okay, well, you know, I, I probably would change this, this, and this. I would not do it this way again. And maybe they would supply me with some ideas of how I can make it better. Again, don't be afraid of failure. This is the safest chance you'll get to, to try things out. Uh, secondarily, build content knowledge. I, I, this is when I really found that teaching is so much harder than the core classes. Because you, I, and I, I did well. In my undergrad experience, I, I had really good grades. But when it comes to teaching this stuff, you really need an excellent understanding of your content area. You need to know absolutely everything because you don't know what students are going to ask you. And certainly it's not bad if you don't know an answer to a question, if you have the humility to admit that and be like, okay, I'll get back to you with an answer. But if you make a mistake at the board, that's really bad. And also, a lot of your time is gonna be spent planning your lessons. If you're not comfortable with your content and you need to spend time learning the content instead of planning, that takes a lot of time from you. So again, it really just made me show like, the whole those who can't do teach thing is absolute nonsense to me. Absolute nonsense because I, I really felt like I, I it was really challenging. You really need to know your content knowledge. And I, that was one of the things I really came back and told my friends, especially my friends in education who are gonna be doing student teaching eventually, you really need to know this stuff. You have to be comfortable. It'll just make your life so much easier in the long run. I really think it's important. And so my advice for this, if you're early into your undergraduate experience, if you really wanna make sure you kind of go in with a head start of knowing your content knowledge. What really helped me was tutoring every single year I could, being a learning assistant every single year I could, and just taking the opportunity to help people with homework. For me, that was so invaluable because I really think you don't, you really truly do not understand your content until you attempt to teach it to someone. And you try to explain things in a first grade vernacular. You try to break things down so that anyone can understand it. You need to immerse yourself in those opportunities because essentially that's what you're going to be doing every day as a teacher. In addition, if you do need to learn your content in a teaching environment, which of course I do, I still have to do. I'm planning my units for you know my actual 
my actual full-time teaching now. And the first thing I did was let me pop open a textbook, especially the textbook that you're using in your courses, and let me just read through it. Let me take a look at what I'm expecting students to read, what they, they may or may not read, but it's good for me. And honestly, some textbooks are really good. So I, I found that you can kind of catch yourself up. Maybe, you know, 60% of you remember 60% of what you're teaching. Open a textbook and get you that extra 40% as quickly as possible. And honestly, a lot of textbooks explain things in a really good way that students, maybe they suggest like a, a, a something to try at home that your students probably aren't going to try because they aren't going to read that. Do it yourself in your classroom. You, you might not even, <laughs> students might not even notice that you take examples and stuff like that from the textbook. Uh, to me, it's like a free resource, and I, I found them to be really useful, especially as someone in my undergraduate experience who didn't really open up a lot of textbooks as a student. As a teacher, I think it's really important to open those up and get used to them, especially if it's a book you're going to be using in your course for your students. I kind of alluded to this next point. Talk to other teachers and observe as many classes as you can. So for me, I wasn't upset that I wasn't teaching immediately. I wanted time to observe my co-op and observe his co-workers and get ideas from them because, again, it's it's free ideas. You're not going to get to observe teachers all the time. Take advantage of being in a school every day when you're not a full-time teacher. You're a student. Observe as many people as you can. Take notes. Again, I, I don't think it was foolish to take notes. I definitely, you know, I, I, I looked at them. I, I got some ideas from them, even if I didn't, like, you know, go back and review them a lot it's still just writing them down and you know the act of taking notes really put stuff in my head again I, I think it's it's free information you, that you should take advantage of while you're there probably the most important thing and again I alluded to this a little bit was you're still a college student and you really need to maximize the amount of work you get done with your limited time while you're maintaining a work-life balance and a really healthy work-life balance and I think for me this is one of the number one things I want to kind of solidify as a teacher especially in my first year because I'm going to be doing a lot of work a lot of planning to get you know basically going from zero to 100 with all my courses I, I want to maintain a really healthy work-life balance and student teaching I think was a really perfect time for me to kind of exercise that for me I, just to give some context of where I was in my life and how I structured my day when I was done with the school day maybe some days I would stay after if students were coming to ask for extra help or I would stay after to set up something for the next day, talk to my co-op about plans for the next couple days. And then once I would get back to my, my dorm, I would, you know, sometimes I would start to do some other work. I would start to plan. Sometimes I would just take some time off because you just came back from school. There's nothing wrong with taking an hour or two off before you go back into planning. I, for me, again, it's, it's really valuable, especially again, as a, as a student, I'm not super pressed for that. So I would get a couple uh, you know, some maybe a couple hours of work done catch up with some friends who i hadn't seen throughout the day intermix you know i wasn't super super dialed into working and but then you know what i did know is that i would try to get i had to get some work done you have to get work done afterwards because you, you don't want to do all of your work in school right before you're about to teach but what i would do is after a certain time maybe at like 8 p.m i would say okay it's time, you know, I've got an hour and a half, I'm gonna dedicate an hour and a half to something, you know, something constructive. For me, it was working out. I happened to be training for a half marathon at the time. That didn't really work out with the whole corona business, but uh, you know, I, I was something I was really dedicated to, just something that was really productive. And it can be anything. I think having a hobby during your student teaching is gonna really go a long way for you because you don't wanna spend all of your time planning, teaching, and doing 
what I would consider, at least for me, this is just the way I'm wired, non-constructive recreational time. Where to me, you know, I could spend a lot of time watching Netflix or playing games. And I think that's really important to recharge, but I want to do something with that energy when I'm at home. Just do something constructive. So for me, it was it was exercising and working out. For you, it could be playing a musical instrument or, you know, doing some research or, you know, doing something. I don't know. Dude, I, I think it's really important. I think it's really important to have your hobbies and to have something constructive to do with your free time just to get your mind totally off of anything else involving teaching because I think as a teacher, one of my goals is I really want to have a life outside of the classroom in my first year. We'll see how that goes. But uh, again, student teaching was just such a great time to, to kind of get used to that. Another really important thing that, I, again, I think is a kind of a clash between ed courses in the university and actual student teaching is, for me, it was so important to not reinvent the wheel. And what I mean is your cooperating teachers are going to have resources. They're going to have, you know, they already taught this stuff for years. If you ask them how they normally teach a subject, they're going to tell you. They're going to give you the resources that they use, the problem sets they use, the labs they use. And in my mind... Why would you not use that? Why wouldn't you? Because if you take all of the time, if you have like the ego where you think you need to make everything from scratch, at least in physics, it's pointless. Like, because, you know, what are you going to do? Go into the textbook and pick out different problems? Or are you going to create your own problems? Why would you do that when all of these problems are in the textbook? There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with the problems that your cooperating teacher uses. For me, and I, I think something that was, was really, I got the impression of this from my ed courses, and I think it's a totally wrong impression, is that some ed professors tell you that you need to make all of your material by yourself. You can pull things from online, but you have to heavily modify it to be for your students. I think, yeah, you need to have materials that will connect to your students. You know, you have to teach to the students that you're, you're, you have in your classroom. You have to make sure that what you have will work for them, and maybe you have to make some modifications. But you should not reinvent the wheel. If you waste so much time doing everything from scratch, you, you, that's where I'm talking about this healthy work-life balance. You're not going to have one. I, for me, it's so important. Take resources from the people around you because why wouldn't you? I, I, I really don't understand why you wouldn't. I, I, and I can already tell you in my full-time teaching experience, I'm already in talks with other physics teachers at the school I'm working at, and they're super happy to share the resources that they have, and I'm super excited to look at them. And I might not, I'm probably not going to use them one-to-one, -one, but if you can get a resource from someone and you're like, okay, I'm like 60 to 80% of the way like good with this. I'm all I need to do is do like 40 to 20% extra work on my part to get this to the part to get this resource to the point where I'm happy to use it in my class. Why would you not do that when your alternative is doing 100% of the work and maybe creating something that's not that good? Uh, to me, again, if you have an expert, get resources from them. I think it's super, super important. And the last point I want to touch on is student behavior, which is a super important thing. Again, for me, I was really lucky because in Thailand, the culture there, I really didn't have any problems with students disrespecting me. And in my home state, you can probably tell when I talked about the courses I taught, it was all honors and AP courses. All these kids were really invested in the subject and they were really interested in doing well. I really didn't have any problems with student behavior. So to me, actually, I, one of the things I left student teaching with was I really wish I had an opportunity to deal with some really challenging students and students that really tried to challenge my authority as a teacher because it really 
really did not happen once. I was fortunate, but at the same time, maybe I wasn't because I would rather have that happen to me while I'm a student teacher and I have another, you know, cooperating teacher in the room with me instead of in my first year of teaching when it might be, you know, I have to challenge myself to, to, you know, to deal with that. I don't know what I would do in that situation. And I wish I had that kind of experience before I was a full-time teacher. However, you know, what, what I think my philosophy is, is again, my goal, I have control over how I act in my classroom, right? And we all do in our classrooms. We have control over how we act no matter where we are. If I don't give people, if I don't give students a reason to disrespect me, hopefully they won't, right? And if I, you know, if, if I'm working on that as best I can, I'm not giving people reasons to disrespect me. And if people still do, then I don't need to take that personally. If it's not something that I did, maybe if a student's just having a bad day, that's how you can talk and have a dialogue. You know, I, I'm not the type of person to take that personally. If someone lashes out because of something going on that doesn't involve me, if they take that anger out on me, that's totally fine. Let's talk about that. What can I do to help you? Because I'm, I'm sorry, you know, we can talk about this. Again, that, that's just my philosophy, I think. I'm hoping that if I have any behavioral issues in my classroom, I hope it's not my fault because I really want to try to make it not my fault before they happen. To me, I think that's just the most important thing if we're talking about behavioral issues and it's something I really want to take into my full-time student, uh, my full-time teaching. And, and uh, we'll see how it works. We'll see how that philosophy works. I'm really excited. I'll definitely talk about it on here. This is the number one place where I would reflect on something like that. So that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you made it this far, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I know I did. I was really excited to talk about my student teaching. I'm also really excited to talk about what's coming next. So at this point, by the time this episode comes out, maybe a couple weeks left, maybe two to three, depending on, you know, we don't really know when school is going to start yet. Uh, but I really want to touch on the unavoidable, the whole COVID-19 situation. I'm still in the midst of planning, but eventually we'll get to some episodes where I'm actually teaching and reflecting on my actual teaching. Uh, there's still a lot to talk about for sure. I'm really excited to get to that point. Uh, if you decide to stick around and you know pay attention to what I'm kind of going through, I think it, uh, hopefully it's it's some enlightening dialogue that we can talk about. But uh, you know I'll save that for a future episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great day. Hopefully we'll see you in the next one.